Yeah, welcome back to the Adventist City Ministries podcast. Hey, it's Andrew here with Jeff. So we're going to pick up last time for where we talked about the divine nature of Christ and how it's this very just completely mysterious thing that we're kind of going to be studying forever, but it's got huge implications for what it means for us, for the human race, and all the people of this world. Yeah, and uh, we're going to try to get through the rest of this today, but that doesn't mean we've um, by any means uh, exhausted the subject. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, Andrew, is there a way people can get in touch with us to ask questions along the way? Yeah, guys, please. Yeah, if you have questions, please email us at our our email contact at simplicityoutreach.org. You can find ACM on Twitter uh, if you go to at the Ephesus model. And we have our website, adventistityministries.com. So check us out and please send us your questions, comments. We'd love to hear from you guys what you think about the podcast. So today we're going to try to uh, kind of beat through the theology of this a little bit. And uh, we talked last time left off with the idea that at the incarnation, at the birth of Jesus, that um, that Jesus' sinless uh, divine nature, he was without sin, and he was God, united with our sort of our corporate fallen human nature. And that's a lot of words, but um, what it means is, is that the, the whole human race basically sinned in Adam. Um, and we talked about that earlier in an earlier podcast, how you know, we called it corporate solidarity, I think, um, that when Adam sinned, we were all sort of came under the, the human, humanity came under the common uh, condemnation of that. Or it's, it's this condition that humanity is this, uh, this group, this integrated mass, because we all come from this one guy named Adam. He was the first man, and we've come out as mankind because of that. Right, and Romans chapter 5 kind of speaks directly to that. I'll read a couple of verses in verse 17 and 18, and it's speaking in the context of, uh, of Adam earlier in the chapter. It says, if, For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, so in other words, everybody dies because of that, then much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Notice, we're going to start pointing out some things to you as we read scriptures that there's something called an in Christ motif that we've learned from teachers over the years. It usually starts with a preposition like in or through or of, and it then talks about Christ. So what we receive is through Christ, and that's because um, that's the only way that we uh, can be forgiven of our sins, incomplete, is through Christ and what, uh, by taking hold of the good news of the gospel. And then the, the text goes on in verse uh, 18. It says, therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men. That's sort of the corporate notion of the offense of, Al- of Adam, and uh, that's what we're talking about now. And just to emphasize it, Paul takes it one verse more in verse 19. He says, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. So where there's bad news, there's, uh, that's extraordinary on one side of it. There's extraordinarily great news on the other side of right. it. Where sin does abound, grace much more. Yeah. But what we find ourselves in when we talk about the corporate 
um, sinfulness of man. That's what it's talking about is, is, is we can go back to Adam and he, because he was our, our first parent, so to speak, that we kind of have come under the uh, penalty of sin because of uh, his sinfulness back in the Garden of Eden. That sounds almost unfair, doesn't it? It could. It, it can very much. And people have argued that till they're blue in the face. Like, how could we be condemned for something, for a choice that this one guy made that, and you know, and that's where people start, well, he probably wasn't even real then if, you know, so it becomes a slippery slope for some people because it's like, uh, this blame game is just not working for me. But what we do need to know is, is that from what Paul is saying there is, is that when Jesus incarnated into this world, that the incarnation at his birth, that the God nature that he had that was sinless did unite with our corporate fallen nature because Jesus walked amongst, amongst us as a man. He walked amongst us as a man. We know that this was a unique and mysterious um, union, but because it was part of that plan that we talked about last week, we understand also that it, it was the only way that Jesus qualified to be our legal substitute or our representative. It was uh, that he was made in our humanity, which was um, dead, but it was made alive in, in him. That's what the New Testament teaches. So, um, you know, the primary reason Jesus came to be the um, made flesh, according to scriptures, is to uh, redeem men and women from sin. And that in, in order for that to happen, he had to take on this dual nature. Um, and, and the Bible, you know, talks about it um, at length. And it, it just, you got to kind of put it together. Uh, I read this from another pastor, Pastor Jack Secure made a list of, for, for us to kind of help to see the differences in the two natures. And then we're going to, after that, we're going to get back and we're going to talk a little bit about what it means to be in Christ. So in the divine nature or what Jesus is, as opposed to the human nature and what he was made, uh, and uh, we call, he was called the son of God in Luke chapter one, uh, but he's also called the son of man in Luke chapter 19. Uh, we're taught that he is eternally self-existent. John chapter one, he always has been. And yet in Galatians chapter four, it says he was born of a woman. So it, those are diametrically opposed. It says that he, in John chapter four, he is spirit, but in John chapter one, he was made flesh. He says in uh, Philippians chapter two, he says he was counted equal with God. And yet it also says he was a slave of God in verse seven. It says that he was sinless in second Corinthians, but made to be sin in second Corinthians chapter five. It says that he was independent, or he, uh, like I said before, self-existent, but that in, in John chapter 5, it tells us that he was dependent upon the Father. And so we have all these sort of opposing uh, things in who Jesus was. It says that in Timothy, First Timothy says he was immortal, and yet in Hebrews chapter 2, it says he was mortal. And it says in James, he was the lawgiver, but in Galatians, he was under the law. So these are the two natures that are coming together in this person, Jesus Christ. Um, and it's because they come together 
um, that these uh, two natures come together, that he, it qualifies him to be our Savior because the, he unites those two things together. He's not, he doesn't become sinful. He remains, the, he remains sinless through his whole life. So um, these uh, t- two natures are distinct and opposite. We can see mm-hmm. that. The Bible gives us all this information for us to know that, and yet they were united in one person, in Christ Jesus. So Jesus, in essence, became the second Adam because of that. He is, uh, and that's kind of those verses we started with today. He's the second half or the good news half of those verses. Where, right. Where you said where sin abounds. Grace does much more about. Yeah, and so that's what we're talking about today. Um, This whole idea is related to something that we learn in the New Testament. It's called, uh, it's a sort of a very key and central theme of the theology of Paul. And that is, is that we're sort of tucked into Christ because of what he, he, how he took on our humanity or we're in him or we're through him. And uh, Andrew, I don't know, you have some examples of that you can share with us from the New Testament that show how, what that means to us. Right, yeah, we're certainly, we certainly have access to many things we don't when we're existing outside of Christ. So if, if we think of Jesus as this room that we, we step into and, you know, there's things there that we didn't know existed from the outside, but we have these blessings now that we're provided with. So uh, there's, a, there's a big crop in Ephesians uh, one in verses three and onward. So it, it tells us that we have uh, every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ and that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. We read some of these last time, but they're still pertinent. It tells us that we're holy and without blame in his love and that we are adopted as sons and daughters of, of God through Jesus Christ and that we have redemption and forgiveness and that there's this inheritance that we uh, now have access to uh, that we didn't before. So because we're connected with Jesus, it means we have access to all these things, all, the, all these blessings. Um, there's some more verses, like in Galatians 3, 26 through 27, it says that you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And then probably my favorite one is 2 Corinthians 5.17, where it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Yeah, Andrew, what do you suppose if we took out every uh, prepositional phrase about the in Christ or of Christ or through Christ out of, say, the book of Ephesians, what would it look like? It wouldn't make any sense, would it? Right, yeah, we, we need those phrases in order to understand what exactly is, is going on within the plan of salvation. Yeah, so this, this is incredibly important because uh, it tells us how important the incarnation was, was this that it was only because of this dual nature, this uh, new Adam coming onto the scene, so to speak, with a, you know, with a sinlessness about him, but taking on the corporate sinfulness of our humanity that we receive all these beautiful blessings right. in Christ. And it's all by faith. It's not something that we, we do, right? It's something that we receive as we just take hold of the faith that God provides for us to believe that it's true. Yeah, knowing, knowing that Jesus and God, that God in Jesus is life and we have access to that now, it means we can 
partake and be a part of the the righteous life of God. Yeah, how long have in, did it take in your life as a Christian to kind of come to this understanding? I mean, I I spent a good part of my life trying to make myself um, more impressive to God. How about yourself? Well, let's see. I I had heard of the concept before um, when I was younger, and you know, in my high school years, uh, and then through college, but. It really didn't hit me until maybe four or five years ago, three, maybe three years ago, really. And to the point where, oh, this is not just me trying to kind of make believe that I am better because Jesus is this nice guy and he says these nice things about me, um, but actually that he has invited me into who he is and I get to share his experience of righteousness and live, and he lives that out through me. Hmm. I think probably it would be true, a true statement for us to say that some of the people who are listening are still trying to take hold of this concept. What did it do for you? How did it change your life when you finally took hold of the idea that in Christ we have it all, so to speak? Right, yeah. I think, I think a big part of it was... Um, growing up, these, these ideas or conditions were kind of ingrained in me that I had to be a specific way and very much like a perfectionist mentality and that I was the one who had to be perfect and, and strive to do these things and complete these, uh, the tasks that God had for me. But understanding that it's Christ who works in my life and he works, uh, works out his righteousness in, in who I am. It took a lot of pressure off of me and this, uh, this mentality that as Christians, we often sometimes, you, you know, you meet a lot of people who feel like, oh, this is, Jesus has done this thing for me and, and now I've got to kind of go and meet him where he's at and perform so that he can know that I'm, I'm worth saving. Mm-hmm. And for me, that, that took a lot of pressure off because then I was free to enjoy what, what Christ did for me and you know the, the precious things that he did for me instead of worrying about, okay, how am I going to make, make it through another day? How am I going to make it through, um, you know, uh, how can I make it to a place where everybody thinks good of me because I'm doing the right things and I'm living by these set of rules and, and you know all the all the kind of cultural expectations that I think we have a lot as as Christians. So kind of break through that and into this this new understanding and this new world of of living with Jesus. Yeah, generationally, I'm a couple of generations away from you, but uh, I'm in my late fifties, and I realized that probably a lot of the people that I knew as Christians are no longer Christians and that I knew as growing up. And a lot of it just had to do with the fact because this, the gospel wasn't, it wasn't good news. It was just hard news. It was just like uh, trying to be better, trying to, you know, make yourself more acceptable to God. It was a list of rules. It was a list, all those things. And probably there were people teaching it, the gospel, but, um, corporately, we weren't um, taking hold of it. And certainly it wasn't coming across to a lot of the young people that I remember. And understanding, um, I, di- I did have a friend as I got older who preached a sermon one time that had an effect in, on me. And, and the sermon's name was, if you have Jesus, you have it all. 
as my friend Bill Liversidge. And I, as I contemplated that, I, I, I began to realize how true it is, is, is that it never, ever has been about how good I can become. It has always been about the goodness of Jesus Christ. And he was perfectly good. And it all happened. It had to happen and start with him being born in the circumstances that he was born into. I praise, I praise God for his plan way back when, even though it was dangerous, seemingly dangerous, and made no sense whatsoever on the surface, but it makes every bit of sense to me at this point in my life, especially after having tried so hard and failed mm. over and yeah. over and over. I'm, I'm kind of going in this direction because I want to be sure that we invite people to a knowledge of that they don't have to be stuck in the cycle of, of thinking they're not good enough. Jesus was good enough, and he just calls you to accept what he's done in his behalf. That's why everything that we see about salvation is produced in the words, in Christ or through Christ, and, um, and, and, and it's incredibly good news to us. So um, I don't want to get too far ahead. I'm just going to close out this session with this idea, and that is at the resurrections, when Jesus was raised from the dead, these two natures were no longer separate. They became one. In other words, uh, the, uh, they share the same divine life. That's not to say that a sinner is, becomes immortal, but it is to say that we've been given the life of Christ uh, in him. Uh, in other words, it's not conditional immortality like uh, Adam and Eve had where they had to go to the tree all the time. And this is the very life of Christ that's united with our humanity forever and ever. So our corporate um, condemned life died at the cross. And in the resurrection, resurrection, God gave the human race Jesus eternal life in his son. That's from 1 John chapter 5. So as a result of that... As a result of the fall of Adam, the plan that God made was that at the incarnation through his uh, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, his birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension, we could make in him all that he is. In other words, God is trying to reproduce himself in us, and he, and he does it through our acceptance of the good news of the gospel. Right, so God intends it to be this very organic process where as we come to know who God is through the lives of others, and we see how, oh, this person, what, what's special about this person? Why are they the way they are? There's something unique about them. They, they love people. They don't maybe criticize, or, and, and maybe they've seen somebody change, you know, from this person who used to be selfish and greedy and all these other negative character traits and has transformed into something beautiful and... Uh, something that they actually want to be around and then to, to desire those traits in our own lives. It's this very organic process, you know, this way that God intended it to be. It would go from one person to another spreading like, you know, like it's a yeast. In, yeah. In bread. I, we're, I mean, we're going to spend some time on that eventually too, about how Christ works out of us once he dwells within us. Um, but it's true. Um, even, evangelism is we make it much harder than it theologically should be in other words if christ is living in me the bible prescribes if i be lifted up i, w I will draw all men unto me so if christ is truly living in himself through us then people will be drawn like you said and they're going to say hey what's going on in your life i need some of that and 
On the other hand, if uh, we in our Christianity are just simply miserable, um, then it has no appeal for people. It's not anything different than they're already experiencing in their lives. And so we'll actually repel people from the Lord. And so we need to be very careful about how we live our Christian lives in, in Christ. And, um, you know, it's good news and it's not just good news for one person, it's good news for everybody. And so yeah. I'm so glad that, you know, we haven't touched on a lot of the deepest things uh, with regards to the incarnation as to what the nature of, uh, you know, what the, the, did he become in pre-fall or post-fall or all those funny things that people like to talk about, but this isn't the place for that. He was uh, made like us and he experienced the temptations just like we experienced temptations and yet he was sinless. And that's where we're going to go next time is because the life of Christ now becomes incredibly important to us because his history is our history and, and his life had to live out in such a way that it met the demands of the law. So next time we'll touch on that. All right. Thanks for joining us as always. See you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Visit AdventistCityMinistries.com for more resources, including a study guide, reference compilation, and free downloads of our book, The Ephesus Model. You can also listen to other presentations and episodes of this podcast. See the show notes for links and more information.